and welcome to this installment of Public Service Psychology Now, where we keep you updated on some of the things that are happening in Division 18. I'm Tiffany Fennell, the President-Elect of Division 18, and I'm joined by Jen Snyder, our President. Today, we are continuing our 75th anniversary event and talking to Dr. Dali Sadow, who is President of the Division from 2005 to 2006. Dr. Sadow retired from the VA in 2008 after 31 years of service, during which she was the director of several programs at the Edith Norse Rogers Memorial Veterans Hospital, including the Day Hospital Program, the Psychoeducation Program, and the Mental Health Intensive Case Management Program. Currently, she consults independently to a variety of mental health service organizations, courts, universities, and research programs, on issues related to the delivery of mental health services, mental health organizational structures and management, mediation, program evaluation, and research design. In addition to being president of the division, she served as the APA council representative for Division 18 from 2014 to 2016. She is a fellow of Division 18 and a member of Division 31, which is the State, Provincial, and Territorial Psychological Association Affairs, as well as the member of the Massachusetts Psychological Association. So thank you so much for being here today to share about your experience while you're Division 18 president. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we're going to start off by asking, what were some of the major issues going on in Division 18, in APA, or in the country or in the world that impacted public service psychology during your term? That's a good question. You know, uh, you make me think about many things. But um, the year that I was a president of the division was a pivotal year in a lot of ways. We had a lot of issues to handle. There are many, but one of them seemed the most serious, namely the fact that we were losing subscribers. Not that many people were signing up to join Division 18. That was particularly true, not just for APA, but with the organizations around the country. In addition, because we had fewer people, we had uh, fewer dues at our disposal. So we found ourselves unable to um, do the same activities that we had done in the past in order to take care of the business of the division. The model we had been working on, and it seemed to work well for us at the time, was to meet infrequently, but in depth. So the officers of the division would meet at least once a year in addition to the convention, in the winter usually. And we would uh, spend three or four days focusing completely on the issues around the division. It was a very good meeting, very much in depth, and we could no longer afford to do it because it was also too expensive. Just the food and drink of the participants was prohibitively expensive. It was interesting for me, to, it's interesting for me to reflect upon this now with the benefit of 2020 hindsight. We were so afraid that things would have to change and we would have loss of depth and intimacy in the process. Well, we were right, I think, that some of the depths was reduced but what we were not right about was not realizing what an opportunity it was in many different ways. When we switched to relying more on virtual communication, we found that the meetings were shorter, but there would be a lot more of them and they were all free or almost free. There were opportunities to teach each other things because of abundance of time and the convenience. 
In fact, we started having many more people joining the division because it turned out that young people prefer that mode to the mode that, that we had lived through all these other years. Basically, we're coming into a new paradigm, a how to run meetings, which was frequently, and because of the cost effectiveness of using virtual communication, we're able to do things we had not done before, such as eventually provide free CEs for the people in the Division 18. Something that had become a fiscal burden for Division, for Division 18 subscribers, could now become a fiscal benefit. We were able to provide a lot of teaching material showing the kind of work we did. As a result, our numbers swelled. Again, it was a big lesson for me. When you are experiencing change, you might be entirely correct about some of the consequences, but you may not be completely aware of the advantages. I guess one of the things that uh, I should say that all of the progress that I mentioned is a progress that it did not take a year, it took a decade. And, uh, and it was carried through by people like uh, you, um, Dr. Schneider and uh, Dr. Fennell as well, of course. And, but, but, I'm, but, but they wouldn't have become possible had we not done the changes, initial changes. This is a case in point. Yes, I personally missed some of the intimacy, but at the same time, I was delighted about the variety and opportunities and the ability to spread, spread and do more, um, more teaching, both of which we were doing as for continuing education. I think the success story was really done by all the people who worked so well on it over the years. I particularly wanted to mention Dr. Fennell, who has been one of the people who works very hard and innovatively on those goals. Another thing that made a difference was the way we treated students. We valued their input very much, but even when we stopped having the money to pay for them to go to meetings, they could not be involved because of the meetings were virtual. Students became more and more involved in the division in a lot of ways, and not just attending silently, but running groups, having projects, and it all culminated for me from this year together with all of you, I'm sure, I put in my vote so that now in council, we have a seat dedicated to students. Um, another thing uh, we have, we did students, I mean, all of us did it over the decades, but we started it at, at my time, was mentoring for people who wanted it. I think that was an important uh, service and a lot of students found it helpful. So to summarize, we had to change from one way of doing things to another. And like all births, it has its disadvantages and its miracles. There's a good example of how when you are involved in the midst of change, you can imagine things being better, but you're not sure they actually will. What happens though is that they actually do become better. And it is your constituency that tells you by voting with their feet and attending or not attending, if you are really making the right call. In spite of the felicitous outcome of change, which seemed to resolve a lot of issues and problems we faced, I do not want to suggest in any way that change was easy or immediately adopted or that everything was coming up roses. A lot of people resented it and a lot of people felt very abused by this change in direction. 
A good example had to do with publishing a newsletter. It was published uh, as often monthly, and we would print it by a professional printer and mail it to people's houses. It turns out this was a major expense that we could no longer afford. So the proposal was to change and have all the newsletters being sent electronically. There was enormous resistance to this, and people felt unappreciated and unheard and abused. Something you don't want for your colleagues to feel, and certainly not as a psychologist. So after a great deal of discussion and soul searching and thunder and fury, we came to the following solution. Everybody in the division would get automatically, electronically a newsletter whenever it could come up. People who wanted it sent to their house instead by snail mail could still do this, but they had to ask for it personally. So this was a way of not ignoring those people who did not as yet have an internet or did not plan to get in. Only a few people, it's very hard to believe right now that there are people who did not plan to get internet. They were there and I was with them. Only a few people took advantage of this opportunity to have the newsletter in a hard copy. And I'm sure that by now, not a single person does. However, at the time, it was a way of making a taking a compromise position and a compromise transition and not leaving anyone behind, to use a VA term. The lesson for me in that is that it's sometimes you have to make compromises as you move on so that everybody can be included. You have to advocate for the people who disagree with you because uh, they are your people also. So that's another the major issue. It seems like old news by now, but at the time it was very new news. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear about the like moving the meetings to virtual, especially over this last year since we've been doing pretty much everything virtually for some time. So it's interesting to hear about like that's kind of starting and people having difficulties adjusting to that for sure. Right. So it's hard to believe that this ever happened. But there was even a time when people had to adjust to the internet, but it happened. Yeah. For sure. Well, you mentioned the getting the students involved, which is really tremendous. Um, are there other accomplishments that you were most proud of during your year? Yes, um, I have to tell you, those are done by my, my terms of whether I like them or not, the accomplishments. I mean, I don't know if they're objective, it's just what I valued. Um, I was very happy that because of the changes we made, more people joined the division. Uh, we, we were afraid that we were facing extinction at the time, so this was better. And more students joined as well. I was very impressed that in the difficult time together, we created a financial plan that allowed the division to thrive. It involved sacrifices and change, but I was very proud of us because we were willing to do it and that it worked out. The working out was felicitous, but the fact that people were willing to take a chance on us to continue so we could continue meant um, like a, a, an act of a loving community to me. I'm also very happy that we're able to start some new ventures. For example, we started to change our com communication into an electronic mode, which we take for granted right now, but it was not always. In another one, we established a strong advocacy group for patients' rights. That particular one meant a lot to me personally. 
there are a lot of advocates for, for patient rights in the division at that time. One of them was particularly active, Dr. Michael Neal. Dr. Neal was an incredible guy. He, he died in his early 50s and unexpectedly, which was a big loss to the division and to a lot of us who personally admired him. He was pivotal in establishing the strong advocacy group, but in addition of that, he was uh, persuasive and bold. So he, uh, he persuaded us to create new ways of presenting material at the conventions. He did not undermine in any way the scientific imperative, but he did allow for different forms of expression. One year he presented poems he had written about the experience of mental illness. Another year there was a play that he and some patients put up. Overall, I felt that we were having an environment in which new ways of presenting material and new ways of looking at things were possible. And I was impressed that we established a strong community together, a community that was able to change and also to innovate. So I guess having a community like that is what I was most proud of. It wasn't my doing, obviously, but I was proud of it anyway, because I was part of the community. Yeah, and it sounds like, like you were saying, things were a little shaky at the beginning when you when you took over as president that the division wasn't doing great and was in danger of of not succeeding and you guys really worked to really start building it up and making it a strong division which is which is really cool you guys later did even better and added all kinds of new things <laughs> so, so i guess one of the things that you make me feel is that there's a community over time too like uh, jen you were not there but uh, in some ways you weren't there and when and, and when now you're doing you're leading this podcast in some way i wasn't there in some ways but in some ways i was there we are all connected over time because of common goals yeah definitely the, the podcast has been really amazing for me just to hear about what everyone is doing in the division and to hear about the past of the division um on this our 75th anniversary it, it has been really interesting and amazing to hear about people's experiences and what the division went through and things like that. It's pretty, it's been really cool. It's been really great. Um, were, what lessons did you learn about yourself or about leadership as a result of being president of the division? Well, um, I learned, I mean, that, that's a little philosophical, but I, I understood that uh, change is constant and inevitable that change, change always involves a loss. Even if you're going through the best of all possible things, you're still losing something. You got to acknowledge that loss and grieve it, and then move on to a lot of better things. Sometimes um, the loss is more, more than others, but uh, change is not cheap, but it's also inevitable. And with, without it, you're not aware, you're nowhere. Also, you don't have to go through change alone. A community is essential. I keep on harping on this community thing because that's what I get out of the division I did. I like the new research. I like what people are doing. I'm so blown away by all the services brought to the constituency. But um, the thing that makes a difference to me is a, is a community. Uh, you can learn from change and help the division thrive through it. In the process, you become better of it and you know, as well. 
I think that's a really good point, especially, you know, this year, now that we've been through almost a year of the pandemic and just the changes and how like last August, we had the first online convention and it's looking like that may happen this year. And so it's, that's a really good point. And it's a good thing to keep in mind that the change is inevitable. And that even in changes that seem really hard, there are some positive things and some good things that can come out of them. You let them, that's, that's our advice, to let them, let the yeah. positive things come through. Yeah, that's definitely the tricky part, huh? <laughs> Is letting that happen and not getting too caught up in how it's different than it used to be. Right. Well, what advice do you have for those seeking to serve in Division 18 leadership? I would say my advice is two parts. One of them is very behavioral. Do it. It will teach you a lot about yourself and others, and it will give you an opportunity to make a difference in a positive way. Those opportunities are not coming every day, and if you value something, it's a privilege to be able to work towards it. The one piece of it, so I'm really very behavioral in that. Don't overthink it, just do it. The thing that I think you should overthink, and that's only my personal opinion, is what, what is in it for you? You need to know where you're, there's a lot of hard work being in a community, doing different things. You know, you, you're up at the, the crack of dawn. Do you know what I mean? The question, you need to know inside you, why is that worth it? I have noticed, uh, you know, uh, for Dr. Neil, for example, I asked people a lot of that question when I was president. What's in it for you? Why are you here laboring? For Dr. Neil, it is an opportunity to, um, to help his colleagues, his community, understand the experience of mental illness, not from a clinical perspective, but from a human perspective. And that was worth it to him to do all that work. But for me, um, less, uh, less lofty a goal, but for me, it's working for communities. As I will talk about what I'm doing now, I've always believed that communities can be very healing. And the community are healing more and indifferently than one individual person is. So by becoming part of that healing body, in a way you're still helping individual people. So. Yeah, I, I like that. That's really, I think that's a really good way to look at it. Um, what do you see for the future of Division 18? Well, I, I know that right now it's hard to believe that there could be any more electronic communication because there is so much of it, but I think there'll be even more, more of it. And also, I think we'll be in the division will include social media more than we do. Uh, so I think that has become a way for people to get to know each other. All the, all the meet and greet we used to do in my time all the having a cup of coffee is not the social media. So I wonder if we could think of more ways to use it for our own goals. Uh, I think because there are gonna be different modalities, we have to find new ways of relating to one another and learning from one another. And I think this will be changing as the, as the technology is changing. And sometimes about things that we can't predict. Like I wouldn't have predicted that technology would change the way we did meetings, but it did. 
and, and another thing, another new goal that I have since, since the last year is establishing a meaningful community, learning as a psychologist, how you establish those communities, um, which can be maintained whether there is a face-to-face -face contact or not. And I think that COVID taught us how to do this. We had a, there was a minute there that I thought that there'd be such isolation for all of us, that we would be grief and nothing else or restriction. But it's, even though that was widely true, absolutely. Also, we moved on and uh, created new modes of relating to one another. So I hope this is the last crisis we'll ever have, but it seems unlikely. So learning the process of how to go with the flow and creating new solutions is what I'm hoping for the division. Yeah, like you said, it's probably the la not the last uh, crisis, but um, I do think there's a lot of, I think you're right, I think there's a lot of positive things that have come out of this that are going to help us to be more connected um, as an organization and as a division with people that it was hard to connect with before. So um, yeah, I think that's going to be good. One of the things I would like to see about the division, I didn't mention it because this seems like a very personal thing. And I'm not sure if it can be accommodated, but I would like to have more uh, contacts, formal and regular contact with uh, the people we serve. For example, um, in our meetings about uh, clinical work or the, or the mental illness and all that, uh, we should have be ideally having a psychologist who has had experience in that area. I mean, personal experience, but. Uh, uh, if not someone else who can represent the people we serve. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that's definitely becoming more common to talk to people who have lived experiences, especially psychologists who have lived experience. Um, but there's probably more that we could be doing in that area for sure. I think that when that happens, there will be a challenge we had, um, in my time, as, as I mentioned, we worked on it. And there were some uh, psych psychologists, Fred Freeze, I don't know if you guys met. Anyway, these are all my, oh, you didn't meet him. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I remember I was talking to my mentor about what uh, about him. And he said, the thing you'll find most precious about him is that he can be really angry in ways that other uh, people who try to be very polite as not. His anger is magnificent. And I said, why should I be so excited about somebody's anger being magnificent? I don't like anger. And I thought about it, it was magnificent. But his anger was directed against injustice. He talks about when he was unfairly hospitalized. So I'm hoping there'll be a time when those people will not be kind of showcase pieces, but just a guy next door that you talk to. I mean, in your in your Yeah, that will that would be the ideal that it wouldn't just be kind of a, an extraordinary thing, but it would just be a thing that people accept and talk about openly and just um, a part of life, not like a, a not like a something that stands out or something that's really unusual. Um, yeah, I remember I had encountered Dr. Freeze a number of times in the 
on the APA task force and yeah, another presentation stuff at APA. And um, yeah, he's did, he an amazing guy. did he ever get angry? Did you see mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I had him as a discussant on a panel at APA and, and he got, but as you say, like against kind of injustice and the system that was, you know, not providing the things that he saw as being necessary. Um, I also, he came to speak at a, at a conference that we did at the hospital I was working with at the time. And um, he was going to do a session, uh, just kind of like an, a small session for the patients at the hospital. And, um, he said, if the staff came, they could come, but they couldn't talk. They had to just sit and listen. And it was just, the session was just for him to talk with the patients at the hospital about, you know, their lives and their struggles and things like that, which I thought was really, um, was really amazing. It was amazing to, to, to witness that. And it, for a lot of the patients, it was really profound. It feels profound to me just listening to it. Because I think that one of the dangers we need to have a body of knowledge to do our work. And um, I think that it's only understandable that there will be a lot of knowledge and hopefully even more and more. But the danger is to objectify people, not because we're bad, but we look at them this case, what should we do here or there, rather than this guy is hurting his ass off, what, what can I do, maybe a cup of coffee, do you know what I mean? But it's part of us that is human in an everyday connected way. And I think that part of us is very strong um, and very helpful. I would not want to be, you have to have to do that and have strong boundaries. I think that's one of the reasons it's hard to do because you need to have strong boundaries and also in some other ways, completely human credentials. So it's, um, it's a difficult thing, but I think it makes us real and it's very helpful and very healthy ultimately for us too, not just for the patient. Yeah, well, like you were saying, it's that sense of like being part of a community um, and having that connection on a human level that's really transformative, I think. Right, that's been my experience too. Yeah. Well, um, kind of speaking of that, what is it that you're doing now? Um, as we is said, you've retired question? from the VA. <laughs> what are you doing now? When I first retired, I took a year off and I thought I would have fun and I did have fun. But unbelievably something happened to me. I missed work. I can't believe it was not true. At the times that I was running with two kids, that's why I was thinking about uh, uh, Tiffany's beautiful boy. And he's a lot of work. I'm worth it every minute, but it's a lot of work. After all of that, having leisure and saying, oh my, I miss the work. So my first approach to this is that, um, you know, as, as you work in, especially in institutions, things happen, you get more supervisory positions. At the time I left the VA, I was seeing one patient a week and that's only because I insisted. And the reason I had gone to graduate school when I was young and idealistic was not uh, to do student projects, was not to create new programs. I wasn't against those things. But at the time, when I was um, 22, I wanted to help people in a very concrete way. And uh, I had gone away from that somehow. So I went and worked for people who were either um, about to die or, had, or, or something like that, or people who were uh, getting older and aging was an issue for them. 
it was a wonderful experience. Uh, you're gonna laugh at this, but for me, it was so much easier than, than trying to find somebody a job. It, it was, what to do was very clear, you know. And uh, then after that, we started doing more traveling and I kept my uh, business for uh, consulting. But and I thought it never, was never really a major part. It was more like something I did a few here and there. Uh, but what am I doing right now? Right now there are two things. One of them is a surprise, surprise, a community intervention approach. I, I belong to a temple. And one of the things that I have noticed is that a lot of people in the temple um, are very kind, but not inclusive when people with mental illness come to services. So how to change that? Uh, we started a, group, a program and um, mental health program with that goal. And we made sure we had a consumer who was in charge. She's a wonderful woman who is uh, very clear about how she's likely to be alive. And um, she uh, has a PhD from uh, BU. And uh, uh, she also has a very serious and debilitating uh, bipolar disorder. So she also has a wonderful life. It's all, it's all true. So she's so we're coming up with I do lectures in the community, often in the religious community, because they seem more interested and they have a place to go. You can find them all in the church or in the temple. If you meet people at a party, I don't know who they go, you know, there isn't as clear a place to go. So we have made a lot of progress in that goal. The temple is changing a lot of things. We have uh, mountains to climb. But that's what we're doing. And during that process, I am enjoying my little community of the committee because we have to set the same goals. And uh, I guess uh, one other thing that happened that I, I did a lot of after retirement, but I'm not doing presently, was being involved with APA. Actually, we said that I was uh, a counselor. I had the counseling, uh, I was a representative of the council. But not for, it wasn't for one term, it was for two. And I was also um, part of the Committee on Socioeconomic Status. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a part of APA and it uh, deals with the issues of poverty and how poverty affects treatment and treatment affects poverty. You know, that kind of thing. So I did a lot of APA work. Now I'm doing a lot of community work. And um, I don't know what I'll do next. <laughs> Maybe go on vacation, I don't know. But, but, it's, but I have noticed that I'm, I seem to gravitate and we need to change from time to time. But, I, but somehow, if you look hard enough, somewhere in there, there's a community. Well, that's really, um, that's really amazing. And it's really admirable what you've been doing since you retired. I think 
so a lot of people not every a lot of people just retire and then they're doing their kind of their own things and so um I just think it's really inspiring that you've continued to work and continue to kind of um use your knowledge and and to to build those communities um I just that's that's really inspiring so thank you for being with us today oh and thank you for having me that you know I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's been great to hear um, all the, just hear about the division and what's been happening in the past. So thank you very much. Um, well, that wraps it up for our podcast today. Um, thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe to us so that you get notified um, about new episodes when they come out. Um, and thank you for listening. <laughs>